You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. And I have an exciting announcement to make this morning. Um, I have officially extended the summer. You, you might not have thought that I wielded such, such global influence. Um, appears that I do. Uh, Joshua prayed that the sun would st- stand still for one day. I've prayed for the summer, and alas, I've received it. The, the driving force for me to extend the summer is just really around this message series. I mean, I really didn't even know what I was getting into when I started it all these eight weeks or nine weeks ago about um, a summer renewal focusing in on the Holy Spirit's renewal to us personally, and then we shifted in July to the Holy Spirit's uh, renewing power and presence in the church. And so the, the, more I, the more I dig and the more I get into it, the more I realize that we need to go back to a traditional summer when none of us go back to school until Labor Day. Right? Dadgummit, if the pool in my neighborhood's going to be open to Labor Day, we should just continue summer. Um, so for those who are either new to Gateway or you've been doing a lot of getaways um, this summer and you've kind of missed part of the series, let me just do a quick little flyover. Um, even, from the, even from January, I've told you that um, renewal comes from the presence of God. It's the presence of God that brings renewal. We can't bring renewal to ourselves, but we can position ourselves for, for renewal. And we talked about that throughout kind of the winter Uh, spring months. Then we get to the summer and I wanted to talk more about the Holy Spirit's role in all of that. And the first in June, you could probably call it the Holy Spirit in me, where I I talked about who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How can I be filled with the Spirit? Um, And and I have a a lot of pastor friends in town. Um, This particular one pastor is a Southern Baptist church. And he told me, he said, we we believe, I believe in the Holy Spirit and I just don't know what to do with him. And, and, so, and so because of that, then we did a lot of kind of in-depth around who the Holy Spirit is, where most people's interaction, if you, if you haven't uh, grown up under teaching around the Holy Spirit, most of the focus turns to a particular, one particular gift of the Spirit. Um, the Greek is glossolalia. It's better known as tongues. And all this emphasis goes to that particular point, and it ends up dividing people to the left or right of what they think or who you know Holy Spirit is. And, I, and I'm eight weeks in, and we haven't even got there yet. And I'm not avoiding it. It just it ha- we haven't got there yet. It's going to be a couple weeks before I get to that particular gift in First Corinthians um, 12. Um, July has been the Holy Spirit in we. It's about the Holy Spirit's role and activity in the body of Christ. And um, in one of those messages, I, here's, here's where I talked about the connection of the Holy Spirit to the church. I said that the Holy Spirit's presence and power was essential in the birth of the church, that the Holy Spirit's presence and power is essential to us becoming or becoming the church. The Holy Spirit's presence and power is essential in fulfilling the mission of the church. And the Holy Spirit's presence and power is essential in renewing us as the church. And I taught you that the church is the embodiment of Jesus's countercultural message. We embody that message. We carry that message. And we're the champion of his cross-cultural mission. And we complete it. You know, the, the Great Commission is left to be completed by the church. It, it's been placed in our hands to see it to completion. 
The church was, was God's idea. And just like Satan has spent his eternity, if you will, in trying to diminish who Jesus was and is, he puts forth the same kind of effort to diminish the church because the church is the body of Christ. Um, how does he diminish the church? Well, unresolved interpersonal conflict within the church, missed expectations that just naturally happen when we're around one another, and sin. And in those regards, then he tries to erode the value and the, um, and the power of what is his body. And the call to each of us is to fight through all of those. We fight through all the scandal that ends up taking place. We fight through interpersonal conflicts. We fight through our disappointments because this is the body of Christ. And we are all in process, all right? And so we mature and become healthy as individuals and we mature and we become healthy as a body. Um, the, and the church is uniquely designed by God and empowered by God to play a central role in our life and in this kingdom just even known as our culture. Um, two weeks ago, I drove home the point that you've been picked, that God picks you. You've been picked. That he's personally called you out of a dark place into a dawn place for a specific place for something bigger and better than you could have ever imagined. Last week, I brought specifically that the body is not a metaphor for the church. That the body is the living, breathing, blood-pulsing part of Christ. And so it's not a catchy phrase to use. It's not even interchangeable. We can throw out other metaphors for the church. We can throw out team, right? We can throw out um, a, a number of different metaphors that work. It's, but the one that's used in scripture is not a metaphor. It is a body, all right? And so, so this is kind of brings us up to now when I get into the gifts today or the first kind of toe we're gonna put into the gifts of the body today. All of our messages, just as a reminder, every Sunday message, you can find it on the website under the resource tab and the archive sermons. And um, we keep the, the video of all the service for a number of months before then it falls off to just the audio podcast of the message. And then all of the slides, all of those are notes and all of that's accessible on the website as well. So it gives an opportunity to catch up because I do preach in a lot of series, right? And as much as I try to make them stand alone or that I give you enough background to get into this one, sometimes things just get missed. And so I'd encourage you to be able to go back and watch those. Um, so last week I used three blocks of scripture, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 to talk about the body. And all three of those passages, though, they also lift gifts for the body. Ephesians lifts what, what can be called the, um, um, the, anoint or the uh, appointed gifts. Um, pat, uh, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher. Um, and then when you get to 1 Corinthians, those are, could be known as the anointed gifts. So these are the gifts that every believer has the opportunity to, to, um, to operate in. And we'll get to those uh, in a few weeks. Today and next week, I'm going to deal with what is called maybe the pinpointed gifts. And these are the gifts, that a, por a portion to each of us in here, 
that, that now we operate in that gift inside the body, that we become that part of the body by using that particular part of the gift in the body. Now, here's our text, um, or first part of our text, Romans 12, three through five, and I'm gonna read out of the Amplified version. Just a reminder, the Amplified version gives you a breakout of the nuances of some of the words where if we just read it straight in any other version, um, a word can mean multiple different things. And this, I love the Amplified because it gives us a nuanced approach to this. So he says, Paul says, for the, by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you to not think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability that he ought to think. But to think as to have sound judgment, my word there was be self-aware. As God is apportioned to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. For just as one physical body, we have many parts. And these parts do not all have the same function or special use. So we who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ. And individually, we are parts one of another mutually dependent on each other, all right? So when, when you translate parts of one another, a good translation of that is that we're mutually dependent on one another. And I wanna pause there on the mutually dependent on one another. What, what, is that, what does that mean and how do we become mutually dependent on one another, all right? So one of my favorite phrases around here at Gateway is we show up and we get to borrow someone's faith and we get to lend someone faith, all right? So did I just make that up? No, all right? Here is Romans 1, 11, and 12. For I long to see you in person. So this is Paul talking to the church at Rome. I, for I long to see you in person so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen and establish you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged and comforted by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is where it comes from. If we're going to borrow faith and lend faith, Paul gives us the foundation for that for that, that he longs to be with them so that he can share with them, that he can share his spiritual gift. And the purpose then of that sharing in that gift is to establish, strengthen, um, encourage, and comfort one another, okay? So there's a body, the body has many parts. Parts can be called gifts. Paul's saying in my gift and in your gift, we mutually share that with one another so that we mutually strengthen one another, comfort one another, encourage one another. All right, that's a big deal. Pastor John Piper says this about spiritual gifts. He says, a spiritual gift is an expression of faith that which aims to strengthen faith. A spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. Spiritual gifts are a way to, to disperse God's grace to others. A lot of times the understanding of gifts doesn't fall into this context of borrowing and, and lending faith to one another. Most of the time the context of spiritual gifts ends up, what's my gift and where do I get to use it? Right? But Paul and all of these, Romans, uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter, all has them in, in the context of how we use those to be mutually beneficial to the health and the strength of the body, okay? 
So now, there's a, the key differentiator between a spiritual gift and a talent is this. A talent, a talent turns the attention onto me. A talent turns its attention on me. All right? A spiritual gift turns the attention onto the receiver. Okay? So we can all be talented. We can all be gifted. The manner in which that gets used tells us what it is. Right? And it can be even a gift given by God, but when it's, when it's expressed as a talent, it doesn't do what, it's, what it was meant to do. And it's the powerful thing of what it's meant to do. Strengthen, encourage, comfort, make healthy, right? The body. And so this is why he gives these, he will give these gifts in order for that to take place in the body. Um, our mutual dependency serves one another. And this is what Peter, Peter asked of this mutually dependent concept. Okay, look, this is very difficult for a Western church to hear that we are to be mutually dependent on one another. Because everything about our life says become independent for a good thing. I remember when I told my parents for the first time that I wasn't coming back home, right? That I was finishing school and I wasn't going to move back home and to work with our family business. Now, they knew that that's not why I went to school to come back and work in the family business. But I think every mom and dad still kind of hopes, right, that they're going to make it back home. And only child... And I said, you know, I'm not coming back home. Are you guys okay with that? And my mom, man, my mom was a champ. My mom said, we would have been disappointed if you came back home. She's a loving, she was such a loving individual, my mother was. No, so, so, so the idea then, though, you know, you grow up, be independent, be independent, 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 don't count on anybody, I want to depend on myself, I want to carry my own load. This is, this is not a bad thing. But now the kingdom culture is now we are mutually dependent on one another. That not one of us has everything it takes for us to live this out. But within the body, hey, we do. In the body, we become healthy and strong. And a healthy and strong body is attractive. And in a very individualistic culture that says, I've got to swim this channel by myself, if there becomes a body of people that operate in a different mindset and it's healthy, how attractive is that, right? Because this is the cultural challenge of our day. The cultural challenge of our day is about my rights and my individuality. That is, that is the overarching challenge of the day, right? And so isn't it interesting then how the church is built to counteract this major conspiracy that we have going on right now in our culture that we have elevated. I read this recently. Um, it was an author of an article in The Atlantic, okay? And he was talking about how he, um, how he bristles whenever anybody would speak about faith, okay? Because he said that he was an unapologetic atheist. And then he said he realized that actually he wasn't an atheist anymore. Listen. An atheist denies the existence of God, okay? An agnostic says, I don't know. I don't know whether it's true or not. He said, he, he invented up a new word. It was, uh, I wouldn't even know how to pronounce it because it's not a word, but apatheist. He said, I don't even care anymore. So it was apathy. I went from having a strong pointed opinion that there is no God 
And now, I just don't think, I just think it matters. It's not something I think about. So, so, so how then do you reach a culture in that, in that pretense? I'm telling you that when a group of individuals say, I am mutually dependent on one, uh, someone else, and I, I, I use what God has given in me and driven in me for the mutual edification, the strength, the comfort uh, of other people. I'm just telling you, you cannot keep that message bottled up. You can't do it. And here is what he, here's what Peter said. Just as each one of you has received a special gift, a spiritual talent, an ability graciously given by God, employ it in serving one another, as is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace. So this is so cool. God's multifaceted grace is, is, um, is demonstrated through the giving of his body specific gifts. They're grace gifts. Faithfully using the diverse, varied gifts and abilities granted to Christians by God's unmerited favor. And these gifts are how we engage the body of Christ in Christ's mission. We serve Christ and one another in use of our gifts. All right, now let's get to the gifts. I'm only going to do three today. I've been accused of trying to preach too much in a short amount of time. Um, and those are from the people closest to me. So I'm only, so only going to do three today out of this passage. I'll do four next week, and then I'll get into 1 Corinthians, and we'll see how long that takes. I, I might cancel other things. I don't know. So here's Romans 12, 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them accordingly. If someone has the gift of prophecy... Let him speak a new message from God to his people in proportion to the faith possessed. If service in the act of serving, or he who teaches or she in the act of teaching, he who encourages in the act of encouragement, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy and caring for others with cheerfulness. These are the seven gifts that Paul points out to the church at Rome, and he points these out in a manner in which each of us carry a primary gift out of these seven, or it's available to us. So let's talk about the spiritual gift of prophecy. He says, if someone has the gift of prophecy, let him or her speak a new message from God to his people. And this gift gets us about as much pushback as, so, as speaking in tongues in the body of Christ. All right? All right, so the opposition is this. Once we had the Bible in its canonical form, meaning it was complete, all right, we got the leather on it and maps and all that, and it was, it was complete, then, then God ceases the need for him to, to continue to speak to us a day, stopped. Every revelation we need from God is in the word, and there's no other need for any um, voice of God, because what, is the people going to run around and write it down and then try to find a new way to put it in the Bible? That's, that's the argument to prophecy ceasing with the completion of Scripture, all right? My counterpoint is this. Um, prophecy is used for prophetic encouragement and instruction, and it doesn't replace, it doesn't add to, it doesn't circumvent or cancel Scripture, okay? I, I called it, when I was writing this this week, um, I would say prophecy is God's turn-by-turn -turn instructions, 
I would say that prophecy helps us live out scripture and purpose in a current circumstance or context. Right? It's not always easy to find very specific circumstance and context, right, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in the word, in terms of to us, right, our present, right? Um, but, but what I want you to do, don't think of prophetic as predictive. This is how prof- prophecy gets um, um, labeled right now, right? So it's some person coming on TV or some YouTube video, right, saying the world's gonna end in 20 minutes, right? And so, and so that then labels a prophecy. You know, one way to identify whether someone's a prophet or not is do what they prophesy, does it come true? If it doesn't, ain't no prophet. All right, but that's still, that's the Ephesians 4 office of prophecy. This is a gift given to the body, individuals in the body, that would speak words of prophecy. Um, and, and I understand that you, I think maybe with this gift, someone should be the most cautious with this gift, right? When, you, when you're gonna say, even, even up here, when I feel like God gives me a, a prophetic word, I will say, I think this is what the Lord's saying, right? So, um, but there's no arguing that it has to play an important role in the body. It's the only gift that Paul lists in Ephesians and Corinthians and Romans. No other one makes all three lists. So, and and it, come, like, it comes first in this list. It comes second after apostle in his Ephesians 4 list. Right? So this has got to be a big deal. So just because I don't understand all of it and you might not understand all of it and sometimes it might feel uncomfortable, does that mean that we shelve that gift? We put that gift away. Um, but how does it apply? So I've, I've got uh, 25 copies of this book. Um, some of you have already known me so well, you see books on the counter and you take them before you even come in. Who, took, who already took a book? Yeah, see, you, you, they're out there, Charlie's giving them away, then you grab your book. All right, so this is written by a friend of mine down the street, Condos Pastor, Power of the Seven. He's been doing a deep dive into gifts. Uh, we actually communicated this morning. He was flying back from Entebbe this morning, pastor friend from Uganda here sitting here this morning with us. And so he's flying back from there. And um, now Darren, I like how he writes this, but, but he calls the prophetic gift visionary in here. He's because it's a visionary. Now I know what he's going for, all right? So a visionary is someone who sees things, right, that no one else really sees at the moment. But I think he lowers it on too low of a shelf in order to, for people to really kind of grasp this idea that, that a prophetic gift happens in the body. I think he gives a great definition of what visionary is. I'm not sure from the prophetic side. I do believe what a prophet does, how it operates in the body, is that when, when they're a part of a ministry team, the person with the gift, a prophetic gift, would be able to speak a word of direction, a word of caution, a word of encouragement about direction. It might, that person might say, I'm not sh-, you know, I kind of feel like we haven't seen this piece of this. I feel like we've overlooked this piece. Or, boy, I can confirm that in my spirit that I think this is the way we should run and run fast. Right? Do you see how, how essential that, that would be, having that gift operating, right, in the body? Now, here's another reason why it gets pushed down. Because generally, my experience with people that, that, uh, that either feel like they have the office of prophet or they feel like they have a prophetic gift, man, they wear, they wear it like a varsity letter jacket from high school. You know, or they're just angry people, 
and they'd sit around to critique and to, you know, and you go, mm, next time I'm not going to tell you we have a meeting. <laughs> right? So, so Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy, you know, it, it actually plays out a little differently. The Old Testament prophecy, it was kind of, you know, God's just getting your attention. And by the way, all of them get killed. So I'm not sure anybody, like, this is, this is something we want to be, right? But then we read the prophecies of Isaiah, and we, now we get the messianic prophecies, right? In the New Testament, the, the prophetic gift is used for the encouragement and the direction of the body. It's, it's a much more redemptive used gift, all right? And so we should want a prophetic gift to operate in the body through those in which God has gifted in the prophetic. Now, for the person who might have the gift of prophecy in this, in this regard, that prophetic gift, can I just say you need, to, you need to be careful to use this for the body and not just so you can exert what I heard from God. I would think that this gift would lean into someone who just, you, you spend a lot of time in prayer. That, that you, you want to be with God in prayer at, a, at maybe a different level. And, and, and that proximity that you have in prayer to the Lord kind of positions yourself to, look, like you can't hear me unless we're together, right? So, so I, think it's, I think it's not possible to believe that someone is operating in a prophetic gift if they don't ever spend any time with God the Father in prayer. Right? I don't think he just drops truth bombs as you're you know, heading down the interstate listening to serious radio. I mean, he might if you just spent some time in prayer on the way to work, but, but, it's, but hear me, I'm, I feel like I'm talking out both sides of my, my, my head here. It is a desire, all these seven gifts are desired in the body and this one's even listed first. If you have this gift, this prophetic gift, it is still a gift you have to mature in. You still have to mature in it. Because it's not always about what you say, it's how you say it and when you say it, right? We know that just in general, okay? So, so this is the idea around um, prophetic gift. Um, all right, make sure I didn't skip anything. Um, Oh, I will say this. If God chooses to correct an action or a person through a prophetic word action, I think it has to come from a place of relationship for a redemptive purpose. And that's, that's the difference between a prophetic gift just running around doing its thing and a prophetic gift being locked into the body. Locked into the body, locked into a ministry team. All right, all right. Um, all right, here, let's do the spiritual gift of service. The Greek is diakonia. It can be translated ministry or serve. And that frame of service is love, not duty. In the Western context, we place a server on a lower rung of profession. Right? All right. What about God's kingdom? Well, Jesus said he came not to be served, but to... All right. So I think we've probably raised the level of the rung pretty much right there. Right? All right. And so serve, though, is a spiritual gift. Um, and it's a productive gift more than a proclaimed love. It's a, it's a, it's a productive love more than a proclaimed love, right? So it's, it's not just I love you. It's I love you and I vacuum and I empty the dishwasher. At least that's how it works in my house, right? 
So, so this kind of, and this is a specific gift of service. A great illustration of the contrast here is, is Lazarus' two sisters, Martha and Mary. They were wired differently. They had different spiritual gifts. Martha served out her love and Mary sat out her love. Okay? Martha served out her love. Mary wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. All right? Martha gets upset one afternoon because she feels like she's doing all the work. She complains to Jesus. And on that occasion, what I would have loved is another occasion where he said, Martha, get up and help your sister. Mary, get up and help your sister. Right? But, but all we do talk about is how, oh, Mary did the best thing, right? Because that's what Jesus says. But he doesn't say it like that. He says, in this instance, she chose the best thing. I'm about to, I'm about to head out and she's being with me and you're worried about the dip being good, right? So in every other occasion, the dip being good is important. This is important. But in this particular context, Mary chose the right thing, right? I would have loved to send Mary, get up and help your sister sometime. Then we would balance, we'd balance out this kind of thing. But you can see how they'd have different giftings, all right? Um, here's the challenge with any gift, all right? When you compare your gifts, you run the risk of losing the joy of your gift. Martha's, I want to be out there. Why can't I be out there? Instead of, Martha, you are operating in your gift. I, I, I saw this early on in Gateway. Maybe it's a different gift. Maybe this would have been more passion, but it was one of our early years doing buy a tree. And um, so those of you who don't know, we sell Christmas trees at Christmas time and make a bunch of money and give it away. It's just a really fun experience. And there was a guy out there helping buy a tree that day, and we were shorthanded. We didn't have a, we didn't have a lot of help that day. And he was mad. <laughs> he was like, I can't believe there aren't more people at church to just get it. They ought to just get it and be out here helping. Well, at the same time, we were doing one of our, one of our first um, Christmas um, kids musicals. And there was probably 40 moms and dads up here building sets and taking kids to rooms and all that. And I just looked at them and I said, okay, there's about 40 people up there serving in kids ministry. Do you think any of them are up there going, I can't believe we don't have any more people up here helping the kids. That's I guarantee you there are. Instead of us seeing that we're working together as a body and that is how you're serving in your passion and that's how they're serving their passion. Anyway, oh, okay, I get it. Um, this gift of serving is a, clear, is a clear the way, smooth the way type of gift. You know, you walk into church, you see the church clean. You might not even think how it got clean, All right? Um, you just know it doesn't look bad, All right? You're greeted at the door. You pick your kids up, you check them in seamlessly, you're welcomed warmly and efficiently. Everything just works. And because when everything just works, you, don't, you only don't recognize it when it doesn't work. Well, it works because there's a whole bunch of people using this gift of service, right? It not just stuff just happens. The way the enemy fights the expression of the spiritual gift of service is challenging the value of the server in their own thoughts and light of more visible gifts. When you look around and go, well, I'm not as valuable here as such and such, or no one said anything to me today, like, man, that was really a great cup of coffee, right? right? I tell you even when it comes to messages, and I, and I appreciate how, how kind everyone is um, most of the time, um, and, you know, well, I really enjoyed that message today, Pastor. I, I love it, I love hearing that, and I said this many other times, though, I would much rather hear you say, 
when you read this or said this, this is what nailed me. This is what helped me. Now, I know you're always thinking through that, and, you know, and I understand all the premise involved in here, but, but I'll get it more than someone saying, man, this place looks great. Or, man, my, my kid came out with a lollipop. I don't even know where those lollipops come from, but they make them smile every time they come out with that lollipop. You see, you see what I'm saying here? So, but there are people that have a specific gift of service. I, I call it more specifically the gift of getting stuff done. My wife has the gift of getting stuff done. Darren, Darren writes about his wife, and he calls this the collaborator because he says the gift of serving happens generally in the context of a team. Okay? And um, it's interesting that how our wives are kind of similar. He says, they, like, his wife would never demand the attention of a room. Like, she doesn't come into the room. My wife, when she comes in the room, she doesn't demand the attention of the room. All eyes don't turn to my wife when she walks into a room. But my wife flat out gets stuff done. She finds stuff that needs to be done and she does it and she, you know, and that's just the way, that's just the way she is. Um, your temperament is how you carry a gift. It doesn't mean that every server has a mild temperament, but how, your temperament is how you carry your gift, right? And so in that particular case, that's how she carries that gift. And, and of our inaugural, what we used to call the dream team, uh, people who served at Gateway. I remember we took a gifts assessment test with this group once and like I don't know, right, right, Julia was like 95% was the gift of service. And I was so proud of that until one guy spoke up, his name was Joseph, he says, well, what do you expect? We come to church, we have to set up our chair and take our chair down. <laughs> How else would anybody without the gift of service survive in a church like this, right? So, so I, I, always, I always remember that, that statement. Um, this gift has a place in every ministry setting. The gift of service has its place in every ministry setting. Then your passion determines the setting, right? What you're impassioned about is how that's where you apply your gift, all right? So that's the gift of serving. Here's the last one for today. The spiritual gift of teaching. If you really want to understand a topic, learn it to teach it. I was in a... Um, um, his name was John Maxwell. John Maxwell had this um, leadership class on, um, we were, he was preparing a million leaders to teach leadership to the global body of church, and global, global church body, and I was part of that. And um, he, he, so he's talking to a room of communicators, okay? And he says, let's see how well you are at communicating. Turn to someone and explain to them the game of baseball and explain it knowing that they have actually no knowledge, have never seen a game ever before. Well, you know, I made no bones. I, I like the game. And I turn to the guy next to me and I go, hmm, this is an interesting thing. You're going to stand up there and someone's going to throw something at you. <laughs> and you got three chance. Well, no, you get more chances. And, here, so here's my point. When you, if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, then you have a desire to learn. And not just live in it, okay? We all need to know it enough to live in it, right? But the spiritual gift of teaching comes into if someone has this gift, I want to know it. I want to know it well enough that I can express it, all right? So I wrote this, a spiritual gift of teaching is the gift to instruct or mentor from Scripture for Christian living, discerning truth from lies. Discerning truth for lies. 
Um, the spiritual gift is used for understanding, application, and a bent to helping people recognize truth from lies. Several years ago, I was invited to speak at a um, kind of a, just a campus symposium um, to the School of Religion, and we, we were just, four or five of us were chosen, we got to pick our own topic. And the topic I picked was how to keep, get your first ministry job and how to keep it. And it looked nothing like all the other sophisticated, highly educational, theologically worded other, other things. And so even, even my guest host, even my faculty host, introduced me with as much enthusiasm as announcing he was going to get a root canal. <laughs> but the room was packed. And kids sitting everywhere. They're sitting on the floor. They're lined up in the back. And at the very end of my, end of my talk, one hand went up and he says, what would you recommend um, as a, the best major for me if I was going to pastor? And without missing the beat, I said, get every single Bible, direct Bible course you can before you leave this place. I said, because mark my words, truth, truth is already under attack. And now, it was about, that was about 10 years ago. 10 years now, look where we are. Right? The spiritual gift of teaching isn't just I want to give a, um, a knowledge dump. If you have kids, I'm sure... You've had your kids come home from school at any particular time and said, that teacher just doesn't know how to teach, right? Or that teacher doesn't, tells me what to do, doesn't how, tell me how to do it. And some of you respond because you remember those words are still echoing in your head from your days in school, right? So, so it's not a, just about a knowledge dump for the spiritual gift of teaching. Darren uses the word discerner in his um, identification because this is how he sees his spiritual gift. Darren digs down deep to find stuff to try to help people see the truth from lies. Um, interesting enough, this is not where my gift plays out. My, my gift on, on his exam, and I've taken tons of them. Now, in, in Romans uh, or uh, in, in Ephesians, I believe that my appointed gift is pastor-teacher. A lot of scholars believe that that's a, that's a one thing, pastor-teacher. Okay, so it's apostle, prophet, um, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Okay, I believe that's my appointed gift, pastor, teacher. And I was, I was texting him to, to say, I'm not this, I'm, what would you say that I am then? And before he texted me back, I got to page 137 in the book, and he calls out my gift. I wish I was, he lists two pastors. He said, I wish I was like this. I wish I was like this. This person's like this that I know. This person's like this I know. But that's not me. But I have to fall in love with my gift. All right, I'll let you know my gift when I get there, but we don't get there yet. Um, as in every gift, this one needs to practice. You got to practice to mature it. It has to be connected for a love for people and a desire for them to find and grow in Christ. The spiritual gift of teaching isn't a desire for someone to hear you teach. I remember when I was planting Gateway, there was a, an older pastor mentor, and he asked me, how many people do you deserve to preach to? Now, that's a good question to ask, isn't it? And I went, I guess none. He said, you're right. You're right. Early on in the life of Gateway, I wish I had better examples. I, right now, I'm just coming up with negative ones. <laughs> There's a particular gentleman that said he had the, the gift of teaching. But at the time, we had no small groups. We had no, you know, Sunday school didn't exist. The teacher, me, me preaching. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a bunch. <laughs> so there's really no place for it. But I created a class before church on a Sunday morning. Okay? And it was up at the house. and said, 
we'll announce it, you'll have a class, and you can do it. Well, first week, a few came. Second week, a few less came. The last week, nobody came. And he was mad. He was mad at me. He was mad at the church people. The thing is, if you want to be a spiritual teacher, spiritual gift teaching, you've got to like people. I mean, it seems silly, but, but do you see how the enemy wants to take this good thing that God gifts us all individually for the mutual edification, encouragement, strength of one another, that we get here, we borrow faith from one another, we lend faith from one another, we're dependent on one another, and he wants to make the gift about us. The enemy wants to make the gift about us, not the body. And anytime you act on your own behalf, especially in our current culture, my, I mean, you can smell out a mile away a mile away, like don't want nothing from you. And you could be the brightest, most intelligent, intellectual person. This person, um, if he called me today and needed something, I'd do something for him. He's a great conversationalist, um, brilliant, but he was in a situation in his life where he was just mad. I don't doubt that he had spiritual gift of teaching. I, I just think in that season of his life, he was frustrated and mad and he couldn't get past that. And people in the body they recognize it. Come on up, team. All right. It was the summer of 2010 when LeBron James announced on ESPN that he was leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers to go to the Miami Heat. And it was the biggest announcement that there was. I won't recall any time ESPN doing a whole special around one individual announcing where he was leaving and going to play basketball. And this was his phrase. I am taking my talents to South Beach. And I have heard countless collegiate and high school athletes make that statement ever since. And every time I hear it, I want to throw up. <laughs> I want to know who in the world advised LeBron James to say I'm taking my, now arguably, a generational talent in basketball, right? I mean, depending on how old you are, depends on if you like Michael, J Michael Jordan or LeBron James better, all right? I'm kind of a Steph Curry fan, but that is, that is just so opposite of how we should operate with one another. In order for hundreds of spiritually gifted people to work together as a team, we have to function as one body. And here's some bullet points. We can't take credit for a spiritual gift. We don't own it. We steward it. The, the more we get a hold of that puppy right there, the better how we operate together as a body. We can't take credit for a spiritual gift. We steward it. Now, you might be able to speak to stewarding that gift, but not for being given that gift. As a body, we don't worship the gift. We worship the gift giver. A talent isn't a spiritual gift until it's submitted to God anchored in Christ and yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's very possible your talent is your gift. I mean, God doesn't make us into cyber orgs with our gifts. But until that talent gets recognized for who it came from and then its application to the body and anchoring in the, in the spirit, it's not a spiritual gift. Our spiritual gifts mature as we spiritually mature. I've told you this 
hundreds of times. I am not the same pastor than I was 16 years ago. I'm not. I'm not the same teacher, counselor, friend, father, husband. I'm just not the same. Why? Because it's matured over time, right? It's what's called stewarding those gifts. This is your real purpose. Your real purpose is recognizing gifts, stewarding it, using it in the body of Christ and watch the body of Christ reach its community and watch you reach your sphere of influence the more you lean into this. In the body of Christ, our gifts coordinate with one another. They cooperate with one another. They compensate for one another. They don't compete with one another. And we aren't to compare ourselves to one another. He, use, he gives us to use us in a very specific area. He impassions us for those areas. Are you, are our experiences go into play in this? So much is involved. But in conclusion, Jesus picked you. He picked you. So he gifted you and he picked you. And for the majority of those in this room or watching online, you picked Gateway. You're either in the process of picking Gateway or you picked Gateway as your local body. So Jesus picked you and you picked us. And the call is to settle into our gift. Let's figure it out what it is. Because the more people serving, exercising their gifts, the healthier and more effective this body is. Do you believe that? Believe that? The, the, the healthier we become, it's going to become because more people recognizing their spiritual gifts and stewarding them together. And guys, it is not easy. This is not some plug and play. It's not a conveyor belt. It's not Amazon. You can't put the order in and then it's there. I ordered a book. I ordered a book last week. It came the same day. All right. This is a process with everybody. I, we're not going to get it all right. I, I can't have a line of people, you know, sending me emails saying, this is my gift and this is where I want to serve and you start next week. I, 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 I'm asking for grace in all of this too, okay? The, the, the grace to figure out and how to get everybody operating in their gift, right? Because that becomes or, an organizational piece, right? But no one has to create a space for you to serve no one has to create a space for you to engage someone that's sitting in the room today. No one has to create those spaces. Defining your gift. Um, yeah. So in our response today, the altar is always open and the altars open each week as a borrowing and lending place. It's, it, altar is not always about what I've spoken about that particular day. You, you, you might have to do some business with God over what the Holy Spirit might brought to your attention in any given sermon, but that's not the only reason to come to the altar. Come, coming to the altar on a Sunday is like raising your hand saying, I really need somebody in Jesus. And so then people's, oh, so-and-so is up for prayer. And so there are people that are trained and want to come pray alongside you and then you know, there's people that just have known you or know you and want to pray with you and all that's fine communion to the left communion to the right where you can receive communion as a family you can take it individually we do take it together as a body we're due for that sometime soon 
um, but that's available to you as well. But let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna to sing and worship, and I invite you to come and move. Father, I thank you for this body that, that has been called Gateway Church. Lord, Gateway Church was your idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't Gina's idea. I drive up and down this road. I look back 16 years and realize there wasn't hardly anything on this road. And you put us here. The things that you want us to do and accomplish, there's still many. And you're gathering a group, even a new group of people here to this body. And Lord, I know with all my heart, you want us to weave us together to function as a spiritually healthy and vibrant body. To say to a culture that is only depending on itself that there is another way and another person to live for. I submit ourselves to you. I submit myself to you again. Lord, to guide and direct this body in the manner in which you desire. Now, Father, as as people will come to the altar or stand in worship, Lord, I know you hear you hear their every heart cry. And we began this Sunday talking about rolling off on anxiety and burdens. And so let the body be the body in this last moment. Lord, let us encourage and lend some faith today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today. 